You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Pod show CEO Ron Bloom goes on the record online. 90 plus percent of those people, I would make a recommendation of. You acquire an audience through other podcasters. And then if, you, if you're prepared to make content that's respectful through the audience of those other podcasters, two things happen. One is if you take your advertising dollar and part of your mission is to help other podcasters build their audience, then you're going to get two things, a loyal audience and a loyal podcaster, and a place to constantly try out your ideas. So I heavily lean toward the idea of, of sharing your investment dollar with a community of people who are growing without your help and could grow much more eloquently with your help. And thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Record Online, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. Uh, my name is Eric Schwartzman. I'm your host, founder, and chairman of iPressroom Corporation. We help organizations integrate the web into their marketing, communications, and PR initiatives. I am also personally and professionally fascinated at how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today we have a one-on-one interview with CEO of Podshow, Ron Bloom. He is also a co-founder along with his partner, Adam Curry. Uh, For those of you who may have um, heard the previous episode I did with Ron almost a year ago, Uh, This time we're going to focus on podcast measurement exclusively, and this I believe is the last in a series of episodes that we've done dedicated to podcast measurement, Uh, those um, uh, podcast episodes being done uh, to help me prep for a session. I'm going to lead on building a business case for podcasting and podcast measurement at the uh, Podcast Expo conference, uh, which is being held uh, September 29th and 30th in Ontario, California, and frankly, I'm not sure that this podcast will be released before then, but we'll do our best to do that. Uh, But if not, I think the content is still quite compelling. Um, We talk quite a bit about uh, the nitty-gritty with respect to valuing audiences and uh, some tips for how advertisers and marketers who are considering new media and podcasting specifically should be uh, evaluating and and allocating uh, budget share to that uh, format to this emerging format we call podcasting. Uh, So now I am going to play for you the interview with Ron Bloom after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com iPress Room, always on, even when you're off. Ron Bloom, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So now you guys obviously are, are on the cusp of you know figuring out how to harness these, these podcasts as a format for advertisers. Um, what specific measurement criteria 
do you give advertisers with respect to, and what are the measurements advertisers should be looking at when they decide whether or not to advertise in a podcast? Okay, so I, I believe that you want to start by thinking, take, painting a picture of a world of new media. So in a world of new media, you have a blend of the media consumed, be it audio or video, and the media supporting that consumption, which might be cell phone, website, or even television interface. So you have the kind of a combination of the, the actual media file and the, sh the environment of the show. So one of the things that people are not focusing on enough is what's the relationship, for example, between consuming a podcast, the media file, and actually engaging the podcast on a network. So a Podshow Plus was really built to enable us to begin to understand and advertisers and marketers to reach an audience through a continued engagement. So let's call that serialized content. So number one, pod shows are serialized content. Number two, a typical user could be getting anywhere from five to 20 impressions of an advertising campaign, let's say an endorsement, based on the user's uh, subscription to a podcast. So maybe they're listening to five episodes during the, the term of that campaign or 10 episodes. So now we're looking at the impact of a repeated endorsement, which is something that you can, you can begin to gauge. Plus, is there, are there ways to connect the user from the show itself to support content through the web or some other connected device. Having said all of that, then the statistics become a little more interesting. Um, first, we have to be able to tell the sponsor what is the demographic and sociographic and psychographic makeup of the audience of, the, of that show. And, and that is already a big favor to the advertiser. The better job we can do with that because they, we are helping them we are culling the list from the millions to the hundreds of thousands simply by the, the generic, uh, the genre, I should say, of the show. The second one is, uh, what is the percentage of likelihood, if you will, that the same person is hearing more than one episode? So then the advertiser gets a sense that maybe their message is heard more than once. Most of our advertisers understand that a certain amount of repetition is a very good thing for their message or brand. Third would be, purely qualitative, how many times the show was downloaded. Uh, fourth would be, is there any correlation between the show was downloaded from, like was it listened, was it downloaded well, to, I should say, was it downloaded to an iPod, was it consumed at the website? And then finally, did the person who consumed it, were they eventually driven or a percentage of the audience driven to do other things on that website or with that host? When you think of all those things together, the potential for a good combination qualitative and quantitative analysis jumps up, but someone has to be able to put all those numbers together with me so far. Yeah. Now yeah, that's the question. I okay. I know you know all of this. Now the answer is we have to be able to track. It's physically impossible yet today to know where everyone is getting their subscription from. But it is possible in our network to know how many people are getting their subscription from our network. It is also possible to get a sense of how many downloads come from our network, though there's also caching that occurs on the Internet. Um, extrapolated from the people who get the shows on our network, 
and a number of downloads on our network, we're able to begin to make certain deductions about repetition and consumption. Pre-Podshow Plus, that was almost impossible, uh, particularly with Apple not publishing that many details about what their subscriptions are. The final piece of that, which I'm going to say is not possible in the right environment today, uh, uh, behind the scenes would be how far into a podcast, or you know, can we can we confirm the person wasn't in the bathroom when that part of the show played? That's going to take a little time, if ever possible. The way that we get to that is simply asking. So, what is the um, sample base that we would have to ask, and what is the return on sample base for us to get a constructive, qualitative output based on a combination of how many download requests or downloads a show has? how many are on our network, how many subscribers, and what kind of answers we've gotten to certain either questions from the advertiser or general statistical research of our own user base. So what are the advantages uh, of podcasting over other electronic media? Electronic media? You mean any type of digital media? Radio or and TV, conventional, conventional okay. electronic media, right. radio and television. Right. Right. So... Um, in, in traditional media, market, marketing comes in front of market, meaning, uh, uh, excuse me, market becomes in front of marketing, meaning an advertiser goes to a certain television network based on some Nielsen rating and says, the market is there, so I'm going to put some marketing. Um, what happens in that medium is that that message gets tired over time, and, and that market is cons consistently declining. So the market is there first, meaning Nielsen says, we have this uh, cum or, with this, or this rating, and um, the marketing follows. In new media, typically, marketing leads and market follows, meaning that at the first round of advertising is really adding, is validating the network. We're just about out of the first round of marketing and podcasting. What podcasting brings, it's obvious, and you know this as well, is choice, uh, unlimited frequency, unlimited bandwidth, um, and unlimited ability to mix and match. It also gives the advertiser a tremendous opportunity to, have, to put together an audience in the millions, or even thousands, if you will, if you're worried about numbers, but have in each genre, in each category of those thousands, multiple voices promoting their product. And what we found that advertisers are beginning to like is this idea of the broadcast brand is being replaced by the idea of this all-cast brand, meaning the, the new advertisers on our network are realizing that it is valuable to have 50 voices talking about their product rather than one broadcast voice that was cast in a casting studio somewhere. So if I am trying to figure out as a media planner how much of the pie is going to go to podcasting? What, what data can I use? I mean, at least when it comes to conventional media, and we all know, you know, Nielsen ratings are certainly far from perfect, but, you know, on one hand, you get the number of homes that the program is available in, and then on the other hand, the ratings point, the number of homes that actually watched the program. And uh, there's a bit of a disconnect still with podcasting in that, we can count the number of, uh, you know, the universe of podcasts, of, of, of individuals that download podcasts, and we can even count the number of podcast episodes which are downloaded, but we have no way of tracking the number that are actually played. So how do you get over that? 
Well, I think that first you, you kind of ask two questions. The, the question of how does a media planner get into podcasting or new media, uh, number one is you have to be able to find a large enough audience to create a competitive sample to do any kind of analysis against. And that's, again, why we Podshow and Podshow Plus. It's very difficult as a new media, as a media planner, to pan select 25 podcasts or 50 shows to try to draw any conclusion. You need to be able to pull stats together from a, a broader buy. The second thing is, if you look at the gross media spend, which is in the, what's, what is television and radio combined in the U.S.? Over 50 billion. Um, if you look at that and you take uh, 1% of that, you're still going to be far greater than the total money spent in podcasting this year. So the media planners can afford to look at a small percentage of their media spend where marketing leads measurement. Right? So I don't think we're anywhere near the point of inflection where the percentage of media spend being put into new media is going to break the bank of a planner. That part of the media is put into marketing leading measurement, meaning I'm going to invest in this new medium. And, and remember, do not forget that this medium was not created by producers. This medium was created by audience members. So let's start with the assumption that the audience members have left the Coliseum. They're not consuming television. You can't reach the same audience. So why is this whole rigmarole going on in the first place is that the audience, the coveted audience, you can't measure air. The coveted audience has left television and radio and needs to be found someplace else. It is highly unlikely it's going to be found in another type of broadcast because they left broadcast. So you're going to have to find them in a smaller cast environment. And to do that, you're going to have to invest your marketing money to determine how to do that. That percentage of investment would definitely make podcasting a multi-billion dollar market next year if podcasting can stand up and say, we're a market where you can test and discover that. That's the phase that we're in. So now a lot of people are speculating that, uh, well, I think it was Sumner Redstone actually, I think, was quoted as saying that the reason he let go of Tom Freston from Viacom is because he didn't have a digital strategy. So I don't want to ask you to comment on that directly, but knowing what you know now, leading this business uh, uh, pod show, uh, bringing in VC money, having experience helping other VCs uh, raise money prior to this experience, what words of wisdom do you have for other media companies and advertisers about how they should develop a digital strategy? I think that um, I think that either first of all, I think that um, they should call us. <laughs> I really do, because uh, I think that they should apply and make it a policy to apply a certain percentage of their media spend towards discovering and reconnecting with the audience that mainstream media has lost. And this is the real, when you and I and our companies back in 94, 95 started in the Internet day, we hadn't really lost audience to the Internet. Mainstream media had their same audience. They were actually on a bit of an upswing. So there was a different argument in the early 90s about Internet advertising, which said, hey, it's another place where people go. It's a piece of your advertising portfolio, and, and there was a lot of argument about what, how to measure that. Fast forward 10 years, and what happened in the process was that 
two more generations or one and a half, 1.5 generations have entered the workforce who have grown up without television and radio as their primary source of media consumption. So now their spending behaviors and their, and their information consumption behaviors and their entertainment behaviors are completely different than the, gener than the three or four generations which were shaped around the television. So we really have a sea change, sociological sea change, in the way that media is created and consumed. This is the difference between the movement we're in the middle of now and all other movements. So I would start at telling my media planners to go, the media planner's job, depending on who you talk to, is to plan to reach an audience, not to plan to use media. So I would say you're charged with finding, using 5% of your media budget to reach 100% of the people that left television and radio. That would be a great start. But what is it? Is it 1%? Is it 5%? I mean, rather than just pull out an arbitrary number here, how do we, how do we really, where does the rubber meet the road? How do we decide based on quantitative data, based on smart information, just how much to slice off and allocate to new media? Well, I think within a few years it's going to be a considerably larger percentage. What I'm saying is um, I, don't think, I don't think we decide to have an answer today. I think we decide to find the audience today, and through the finding the audience, I, I think that in this case, market leads measurement. So in the mainstream media, you measure with Arbitron, and then you spend against it. So what has Arbitron discovered? What has Arbitron discovered? It's discovered that people have left television. What has movie measurement discovered? What has Coombe discovered? You know, people have left radio in the movies, sometimes as much as 30% in targeted user groups. Up until a few years ago, maybe 18 months ago, we didn't know where those people went. Most of them went to some place where we couldn't connect them. Broadband and things like podcasting have given those people a chance to raise their heads again and go, look, I'm reachable. I think it's more important than ever, whatever X was, you know, somewhere in the beginning of the Internet, we used to make an argument that 1% of the total media spend given to the Internet was a, was a $500 million marketplace. We're not anywhere near that. So somewhere between 1% and 2% should easily be spent, could easily be invested in finding these people. And by spending it before measuring it, you virtually determine you're going to find what these people like. It is, it is Eric, it's backwards, right? If, if, we, if we start to use the same tools, I mean, television's been around for 50 or so years. In the first 25, we were debating on how to measure it. So now we don't even we all we know about our medium is that a lot of people left mainstream media and they've gone somewhere and quite a few of them are raising their hands and say I'm here. If I was an advertising agency, particularly a brand, I would say let's invest in these new mediums and let's go get these people. Then we'll measure them. It's worth it. Our life depends on it. We know they're leaving. Has anyone unequivocally had a disagreement that mainstream media is losing its audience? My answer would be effectively no. So we know they've lost their audience. This is a chance to go get that audience. And I believe it's an investment in getting the audience first and then followed increasingly by better forms of measurement. Now, on the other and side I of the coin. I actually can tell you that that's what the brands believe. Now, on the other I'm side sorry, of the coin, on the other side of the coin, as a network, as a podcast network, as a purveyor of original programs, um, how do you value the audience? Do you believe that uh, the audience should be valued uh, based on a CPM? 
I don't believe in CPM. Uh, sometimes I refer to that as cost per mistake. Um, I believe that a CPM is uh, if you make a direct offer to an audience, um, I think that, that a CPM and a CPC have done everything it possibly can to make the, an internet, the Internet a great place for Google. So as far as Google is concerned, I believe in CPM, which is you know, massive uh, a, a direct marketing, lowest common denominator direct marketing approach. I believe that you try, that you allow your brand to have multiple voices. You build deeper relationships with your audience through a uh, variety of hosts and programming that you create. And through that, you begin to measure loyalty. And loyalty can be measured in things like churn. It can be measured in um, a variety of, of metrics that actually agencies are starting to, to do some reasonably good jobs in metrics. It can be measured by questionnaires. It can be measured by responses to uh, promotions. And you, and you continually make that uh, an art meet to science, not, and not um, the comfortable mathematical means of how many thing, how many impressions did we get today and how many people clicked. Now, if you invest money and there's no way to tell if you got any downloads or not, or there's no way to tell if anyone responded to your advertising, you have to be very brave. I think we're farther along than that. I think we're telling people, look, if you invested your money, look at the dialogue, look at this uh, website, listen to the feedback, Look at the dialogue that's being created by the host and their audience. Okay, somebody's responding. Now, let's, t let's send out a poll. Let's have a contest. Let's have a promotion. Oh, look, um, here's your run. You've got 40, 50, 100 voices talking about your product. Look, we've got 1,000 entries into this. Okay, Coca-Cola or, or uh, somebody else, how many entries did you get in the one you promoted on your site? Oh, 15. Oh, so, so there is some level of – there is some multiple um, – of beneficence, is that a word? That's a George Bush word. There's, si there's still some beneficiary multiple uh, of, of creating a relationship that extends from uh, serialized content to its audience. That's the first thing we're trying to prove. The second thing is, okay, how do we build that audience? And there I would advise advertisers to go, wait a minute. Your mission is not to see how many audience members John and Drew has, your mission is to, to 10x that audience. So if we can show you a show that already has legs, so to speak, your mission is to relate to those hosts and help those hosts grow that audience 10x. This is what I'm talking about where market leads measurement. If you start with measurement in a, in a nascent market, your answer to every investment is going to be no, I can't reach as many people. If you go with CPM on a, on a market that's about loyalty, your, your answer is going to be, oh, I can do banners. You know? So those are those just not acceptable alternatives. What you should be saying is, what does my media investment get me in terms of being able to build a relationship with my audience? Which, by the way, is how television started. Soap operas and those types of things. When we were talking with uh, uh, the folks over at Nielsen Analytics about their podcasting economics uh, report, mm -hmm. uh, which came out a few months back, um, we mm -hmm. were talking to them a little bit about the methodology behind the report. And, uh, you know, they do, they have a testing facility in Vegas where they, you know, take in people, they ask them a series of questions and uh, through, uh, you know, a process of elimination, try to figure out, you know, who's telling the truth and weed out the people that are just sort of going through there and answering real quickly. 
you know, I think about um, those um, reader response cards that they use to qualify you for a subscription to a trade magazine. And uh, so many of us will just, you know, sort of check off boxes as fast as we can just to get the thing done. Yep. Um, which means, you know, we have such little faith as marketers in those types of numbers. And I remember hearing Chris Jacobs, uh, I think it was at uh, a conference in L.A. last year, say something like um, this. I think it was the real um, benefit of podcasting is the ability to tie audio promotions with the direct response measurement capabilities of the web. And that, that rung true, and it just, just really lodged in my mind, and I thought a lot about that. But, but now I'd like to ask you, what specific measurement criteria do you have? I mean, and how do you go about getting them? What mechanisms do you use to guarantee them? How do you make sure that you really do capture behavior online? Well, uh, I don't think that the, the process of those metrics is, is any new particular biometric science. I think it's, it's uh, to a great extent, processes that have been around for some time delivered with the aid of technology and without the limiting of channel and frequency. So um, if we're running, if, if you're simply running advertising a 30-second drop-in in front of someone else's video, then probably the best test for, for that are uh, brand awareness studies that all these agencies run anyway because you're not really trying to do any more than get an eyeball. And I'm not even saying that that's bad. Um, the good news there is if you're trying to run a, a, a campaign, an automotive campaign, and you want to reach an audience and you reach them through a podcast, it's probably reasonable to assume and to track that, that you've reached the same audience more than once with that message, which is one of the things you get. So that's base. Next is, next is do you ask them to, uh, for example, go to another podcast and register? So you say, hey, if you're interested in this, um, go over here and listen to this. Now you've got a flow of people that, hey, you know, I'm interested in how audio works in these newfangled automobiles, so I'm going to go over and listen to this engineer talk about it. Hey, this is a guy that was a great producer. I'm interested in this. How much direct marketing would have to be done in sorting over the trash can to find that guy, that hand raiser, who right there dynamically at his timing, to his leisure, when he was most interested, clicked over to, a, to hear about the audio in a car. So not only is that a desired person, but that's a desired state, meaning I'm a hand raiser and my level of interest peaks here. That is incredibly valuable to advertisers. Another, another methodology would be uh, somewhere in between those two things of random impressions and then actual calls to action uh, might be a contest or a promotion uh, which we wholeheartedly believe in, where people get excited and start to participate and are asked to do things on a website or back in audio or video that show that they paid attention. So those three uh, pieces, the sort of passive general run of network, then the sort of uh, uh, join the show, if you will, and then the drive people to custom content, when used in concert across multiple shows, become an extremely powerful communications weapon. And then you're able to report some pretty decent analytics. How many, how many theoretical downloads, okay, or how many downloads, let's call them theoretical listens if you must, how many downloads drove how many people to go raise their hand, drove how many people to raise their, uh, to enter the contest. And the thing that, that uh, I preach there is, if it's 100,000 downloads and 10,000 people 
do something, um, and you assume that all the downloads were listened to, that's an incredible return on your investment. If it's if you assume only half of those were listened to, that's an unbelievable return on your investment to get out of 50,000 to get 10,000. If you believe 25% were listened to, now you're in an astronomical return on your investment. So economically, those three multiples might be, from a gross perspective, might be exactly the same because the net hand raisers is, is the same all the way across the board. As a new media business entrepreneur, what do you think the opportunity is for a company like uh, Podshow? I mean, what, what, how much do you think a company like yours might someday be worth? Might do what? What what type How of much a company? Yeah, I mean, what type of valuations are? And you don't have to be specific on today or or even you know five years from now. But the size of the opportunity, podcasting, the size of the opportunity, even as a, well, from a whole market standpoint, how big is it? First of all, Podshow is a media company, so people create and consume all types of media on our network. It could be a single dip media. It could be text media or it could be podcasting. So Podshow is a, is a media network. And given that we're a media network, we're largely, we largely serve content created by independent people, independent producers, or other people. The size of a network that serves content created by independent producers or other people can be economically as large as any media network in the world today, as Viacom. There's no reason in the world... Viacom does not own the ability to make great content. Uh, NBC doesn't own the ability to make great content. W when you look at how NBC valued itself in the marketplace, it was as much about the number of frequencies we owned and the number of towers we owned, the number of affiliates we had, as it was about the quality of our programming. So we're moving to an age where the quality of programming begets the quality of relationship, unfettered, unrestricted by channel or frequency, then a company that deals in quality content can be as big as any media company in the world. Simply, simply no uh, bounds. And what we see as our opportunity today, and what the indications I have not from just podcasting, but more uh, the indications from our audience is that they will be willing to consume and create increasing amounts of their media spend, their personal psychological media spend, on networks that, that don't feature mainstream media. So today, I don't know, is it 0.1%, is it half a percent, is it 1%? For some people, it's 100%, and those are the people we look at first. There's an increasing number of people for which the majority of their media time is spent away from television and radio. Without podcasting, has nothing to do with that. Podcasting is an answer to, what, to those people saying, please, can't you see I don't like that other stuff? Give me some new stuff. That's all podcasting was. Now, new media is an answer to that. So whether it's a YouTube or <clears throat> it's Podshow or whether it's MySpace or, or um, any, anything that's not mainstream, it's not, they're not successful because Hollywood is doing a bang-up job and people are doing some, something just part-time. They're successful because people have given up on mainstream media. It's not relevant to them anymore, and they're moving out. No different than what happened between AM and FM radio. I mean, have they no, given up, or has the audience? ABC and cables. Ha, have they really given up? Have they given up, or has the audience just fragmented? I, I mean, I don't need to be the one to tell you that. There's something where qualitative and quantitative analysis just—I mean, 
you know, I listen to sometimes, I, I, I listen amusedly when certain people like a certain Arbitrani type people convince me that television is growing, but virtually every measurement in every form shows you that not only are for mainstream media shifting south, meaning less, that the that they're also consuming mainstream media in smaller bites of smaller programming. So two bad things are happening. Now, a hit show in any medium is still a hit show. Howard Stern is a hit show. He's a hit show on radio, he's a hit show on Sirius. He's a show, he's hit. Survivor, you know. So can you monetize Survivor better on television than in podcasting? I think, give me a year, and I would tell you, well, wait a minute, maybe not. You know, maybe in a year from now, a show like Survivor might be better monetized off the networks. So um, a hit is a hit, and that's great, but the rest of the network where people do many hits and can consume, can television afford to make money with, can, can Channel 4, NBC, or whatever, afford to make money with a show that has 20,000 viewers? My answer to that is no. Can can a podcast network afford to make money with a show that has 20,000 viewers? My answer is absolutely yes, providing it's a network and not the individual show. In doing so, can the network take the 20,000 viewers and make them 200,000? Can they afford can they afford to invest in that show and grow that audience? The answer is yes. Can a network do that? No, they have a pilot season. The networks get crushed, and the majority of shows that make it in the pilot season are accidental. The ones they plan on fail constantly because Hollywood doesn't know. People know. Same thing in music. When was the last time a label, other than Clive Davis, who's pretty much a genius, picked an artist and said, this one's going to be a hit, and the artist became a hit? It never, ever happens. The artist becomes a hit despite the label, not because of the label, and the label jumps on it and takes it maybe to the next level. So you got me preaching today, Eric. Sorry. So, so what do you see in in terms of in terms of the audience? I mean, I've got to think that there's certain demos which are 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 listening to podcasts more than others. I mean, are there are there certain you know swaths of audience share that are are more frequently subscribing to podcasts than others? And if so, who are they? Well, first, we both fall, fall prey to the idea of listening to podcasts. Podcasts are now audience or viewers and listeners. And second is, I would say generically speaking or generally speaking, the bell in the curve was slightly older than the bell on the internet, meaning it was probably mid-20s versus teens in the curve of a viewership bell. But then that, that's where everything stops because of the niche potential of podcasting. It really depends upon the programming, and that's the beauty of it. Uh, so people are consuming the content that interests them. And uh, the great thing about podcasting or new media is that it's possible to produce a world-quality, a world-class piece of content in audio or video that it can do battle with anything on television or in the theater to capture attention targeted to a market that's very small. And it's possible that a person in one listen or one view is interested in one piece of content that is for the gross large audience and another piece of content that is for their hobby. All of these dreams we used to talk about in television and broadcast have, have just rocketed or, or, or leapfrogged over the broadcast metaphor and delivered themselves in new media. And wait do you see what live television looks like. Wait do you see what live 
what liveness looks like in new media. That's where we're going. Why, why is there a requirement that everything has to be time-shifted? And why is there a benefit? Why is there a benefit to me being the one that can control my media? What about the serendipity and element of surprise of turning on a channel and, and, and turning on a channel and discovering something that wasn't there yesterday? And that's all I can tell you about that, Aaron, so, giving me the big cut. So final question. Um, for those uh, uh, marketers that are considering either using podcasts to showcase their intelligence, their expertise with respect to their brand versus um, advertising on another podcast, what criteria should they be using to evaluate whether or not it makes sense to do their own podcast or advertise in a podcast? Okay. 90-plus percent of those people, I would make a recommendation of you, you acquire an audience through other podcasters. And then if, you, if you're prepared to make content that's respectful through the audience of those other podcasters, two things happen. One is if you take your advertising dollar and part of your mission is to help other podcasters build their audience, then you're going to get two things, a loyal audience and a loyal podcaster, and a place to constantly try out your ideas. So I heavily lean toward the idea of, of sharing your investment dollar with a community of people who are growing without your help and could grow much more eloquently with your help. So don't don't make a corporate podcast, an MP3 file, call it a podcast, and then say, look, we're in podcasting. Because audiences are going to know, know that's lame. Just, just don't do it. Now, if you want to make an entertainment podcast and you think you could better do it inside your corporate umbrella, well, maybe some companies can. Then go out and build your own audience. But you can accomplish the same thing and much more aggressively or at a higher multiple by engaging the entertainment community of new media entertainment to help promote your ideas. Plus, you're going to get 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 people thinking about your product and, and better ways to communicate it. And I've been in those boardrooms, as you have, and, and why, why do I care? Why do I need to turn my brand over to a, one creative directing team? I can have 50 very talented creative people give me their ideas about how to best communicate my brand, and I can pick 10. This is really the revolutionary. The revolution is one Many voices, one brand. One brand, many voices. In a broadcast medium, it was one brand, one voice. It fit broadcast perfectly. In an all-cast medium, it's one brand, many voices. This is the greatest opportunity in marketing since marketing. This is the chance to speak multiple languages, multiple themes, highly organized and coordinated with passion and conviction and dedication to each target group simultaneously. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. It takes a little management. It doesn't get any better than that. So Podshow, you know, we try to stand out of the way of that and provide that organization and coordination and, and that, that extra professional layer that lets marketers coordinate and, and hopefully lets podcasters take advantage of their interest. Well, it certainly is a very exciting time. Ron Bloom, thanks so much for joining us. And thank you for letting me get on the pulpit there. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.